Today on the podcast, we had the opportunity to interview our mentor, Mary Morrissey. So quick bio for her, and then we'd love to share our experience from this episode. So Mary is a best-selling author, international speaker, life coach, and mentor. She has a, been a coach and a consultant for over four decades, and she is the founder and owner of the Brave Thinking Institute. And her transformational talks and seminars have made her one of the elite teachers in personal development. As a sought-after expert on the invisible side of success, she's spoken three times at the United Nations, facilitated three different week-long meetings with His Holy, Holiness the Dalai Lama, and met with Nelson Mandela in Cape Town, South Africa to address the most significant issues our world is facing. Mary has her master's degree in counseling psychology and an honorary doctorate in humane letters, and is the author of two best-selling books, No Less Than Greatness, and Building Your Field of Dreams, which became a PBS special. And through her books, live events, programs, she has empowered tens of thousands of people worldwide to achieve new heights of spiritual aliveness, prosperity, and authentic success. Among all of her achievements and degrees in higher learning, Mary's favorites are the two black belts she had earned, one in success and one in failure. So that's her bio, and uh, I've heard that so many times, but it was an honor to interview her. And I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode. But Chris, what was your experience? It was, it was a little surreal, like, you know, being being connected with Mary for so long and being to so many of her events and seeing her speak in, you know, live and then through her programs and everything, just having her live one-on-one and being able to hear her stories again and like actually ask personal questions. Like it was, it was awesome. And, you know, she's such a great teacher. Like you can tell that from the very beginning, like whoever hasn't had any exposure to her, like she just captivates you with her stories. And she really is really good at conveying like complex topics and simplifying them for people who may have never heard of any of these things before. So you can tell that that came through on this episode. Definitely. I want to reiterate or just highlight what you just said. The last point that or one of the last points that it's simple, like how simple she makes it. Like I was telling Chris just before we recorded this, that like this intro, that thinking about the episode we've recorded with Mary, like it honestly made me feel like, all right, I could do anything. (laughs) Cause how like simple it is, because it really is simple, especially when you hear it from Mary's perspective and what she teaches, it really is simple. And when you apply these simple principles or simple ideas into your life, like really anything is possible, but you know, it's the actual application of it is the the power. Um, so anyway, I, I know that you listening, you're going to walk away or from just listening to this episode with greater feeling of possibility for your own life and what you can create. Yeah. We hope you enjoy. Definitely enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Science and Spirituality Podcast, where we dive deep into universal spiritual principles and ground them in modern science. My name is Chris Carton. And my name is Kevin Carton. And we are committed to simplifying the spiritual side of success for you with easy to understand scientific research so you can walk away with practical tools to create radical transformations in your life. Let's get started. Welcome back to an episode of the Science and Spirituality Podcast. Uh, we are thrilled to have a special guest today is our mentor, Mary Morrissey. So Mary, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Thrilled to have you, really. And so we were just sharing this before we hit record. Many people may, as they listen to our podcast, have heard your name, but they may not know much about you. And so 
love to hear from you and just you share your story of like how you got into this transformational work and impacting people's lives. Okay. So I wanted to say hi to your listeners and, and viewers today. Um, I'm really happy to be with you too. Um, so how did I get into the work I've been doing over 40 years now and studying for 50 years? Um, my entryway was um, an odd entry, I think, into what could really have changed my life forever. I didn't see it coming that way. I uh, grew up in Beaverton, Oregon. I had a wonderful mom and dad and a sister, one sibling, eight years older. Uh, I'm in my high school years. I've been dating a guy for four years. I'm now a junior in high school. He's gone off to college. Uh, I'm that year. I'm uh, head of the drill team. I'm uh, head. Of, I, I'm vice president of my class. I have a lead in the junior play, and I'm the homecoming princess. And at the and on spring break, my high school boyfriend, who's now in college, came back uh, for spring break. I got pregnant. May 1, I have to tell my mom and dad I am now pregnant. My mother wept for me as if I had died. In her mind, all her dreams for me were dying. We had a very hasty 10-person wedding. And about two weeks later, I was finishing up my, my high school, my junior year in high school, and the principal of the high school called me to his office and he said, are these rumors I'm hearing about you true? And I said, well, if the rumors are that I'm pregnant and married in that order, then yes, they're true. And he just shook his head then he put his hands in his head and he said you know you have great grades and you have terrific honors but you will not be allowed to return here for your senior year would be totally inappropriate for a pregnant girl to get mixed in with the normal girls but if you want to get a high school diploma which i did because i had dreamed always of becoming a teacher and i saw being pregnant and getting married now as a detour to that dream but not a dead end to it so i did want a high school diploma so he said, if you want a high school diploma, there is a place for people like you. Uh, it's held after dark across the river, uh, actually in a part of Portland I hadn't been allowed to drive in after dark. Uh, it's at a high school that is a regular high school during the day, but after dark it becomes Washington Evening High School, where the pregnant girls and the delinquent boys go to high school. So the next fall, I'm driving across the river, parking my car, walking up the steps to what was the school, the high school for the quote unquote normal kids during the day and the high school for the pregnant girls and delinquent boys after dark. And I'm thinking, this is my new student body. At this point, over the course of the summer prior, after getting married, uh, being pregnant, um, the other three girls, and we'd been a foursome, just best buddies from the time we were in fourth grade their mothers got together and decided their daughters could no longer see me or talk to me. So I lost my school, my student body, my uh, best friends, and now I'm walking into a school with delinquents and uh, other young girls that I'm about to meet. My son was born in December of that year, 1966, and I graduated from Washington Evening High School in May of 1967. And in July of that same year, I'm now 18 years old, I have a seven-month-old son, um, I'm diagnosed with fatal kidney disease. I'm in an intensive care ward in a Portland hospital. One kidney is totally destroyed with nephritis, which is kidney disease. And the other kidney shows 50% destruction and active nephritis. Now, this is before transplants and it's before dialysis. And at this point, this is a death sentence. And they're telling me um, how sorry they are. I mean, I'm a very young, I have a son to raise and there's nothing they can do. Uh, and they have some meetings and they decide if they can get the blood toxin level in my body reduced enough so 
if I could sustain a surgery to remove the right kidney, then maybe I'd have six months to live. Um, and I'm terrified. Uh, so finally, the night before the surgery was scheduled, I just want to say for a moment, you know, we're here today to talk about science and spirituality. The, the religion I had been raised in, the religion of my upbringing, uh, was not a friendly place to go. That God was an angry God, a punishing God. Um, and um, we were all sinners. And clearly, I mean, I was a bad girl. I got kicked out of my school. My best friends can't talk to me. Um, I'm going to school with delinquents. Um, this is the group I'm in. So I'm, a, you know, in my mind, I'm, that's making me a bad person. And I'm just thinking, well, I must deserve to die. That's what's really going on here. I'm being punished. And so the night before the surgery, a woman walked in my room who identified herself as a visiting chaplain that she came several times a week to give prayer uh, for people that were having surgery the next day. She said, every time I arrive, I get the list of the most serious surgeries happening to uh, tomorrow, in order of the seriousness, your name's at the top of my list. Would you like somebody to pray with you? I was very scared, as I said, um, and I said, okay. She pulled her chair next to my bed, but she didn't do anything that looked like prayer from my upbringing. She just talked with me, and it started this way. She said, would you be willing to tell me what's been going on in your, in your life the last year or two? So I told her my story. At the end of which she looked at me with just really deep compassion and she said, Mary, everything's created twice. And I, I'm sure I had this very quizzical look on my face like, what are you talking about? And then she said, well, you know this. Actually, everyone knows this, but almost nobody knows the power of knowing this. And then she said, the bed you're laying on, the nightgown you're wearing, the sheets covering you, the walls, the ceiling, the floor, all the machinery you're hooked up to, First, it had to be a thought before it could be a thing. And she said, I hear how much you love your little boy, but I also hear how much you've been hating yourself. You feel like you shamed your family, you shamed your school, you shamed yourself. But now that you're considering how everything is created twice, could you consider the possibility that that self-loathing thinking actually has a toxicity to it? And that thinking might have, since everything's created twice, that thinking might have something to do with a toxicity that's rampaging your body and threatening your very life. Nobody I knew thought this way. This is 55 years ago. This is, this is before mind-body clinics at Harvard Medical Teaching Hospital and Stanford and UCLA and all of the many um, uh, medical school hospitals that we have today that have mind-body clinics. Um, this was, nobody seemed to have knew this, certainly not anybody in my sphere knew about this. Uh, and she said, could you see a correlation there? Could that be a possibility? And I, I didn't know how to answer that. The next question was, so if you could live, what would you do with your life? And I knew immediately, well, if I could live, I would raise my little boy, number one priority. Number two, I would become a teacher. And she said, okay, so could you believe it's possible that we could say a prayer uh, uh, we would just dissolve all that toxicity. And in the morning when they came to get you to take you to uh, surgery, they look at you and they say, well, you, you look so much better. We better test you. And they test you and they say, my gosh, we can find no trace of illness. You're, you're fine. Get up, go home. She said, can you believe that's possible? And I looked at her and I gave her the, my answer. And the answer was no. There wasn't one 
part of me at this point that could believe that she was going to say words and all the pain I'd been in and all the, the way I felt that that was just going to disappear. Um, I said, no, I can't believe that. And she said, all right, now I want you to think about the infinite possibilities in the universe. Could there be one possibility that if we did the prayer and we scooped all that toxic, toxic energy in your body, and that all that illness, and we put it in the one kidney that's going to get removed, that when that kidney is removed, instead of you getting worse, you just started to improve, and you improved and you improved up to the point where you got well, could you believe that? And it's interesting because I didn't believe it. But in that moment, in first time in my life, I actually, I believed in someone's belief that was operating at a higher domain than mine, I went, I could just see that she believed it. And I said, Well, I don't know, it, I don't think it's probable, but maybe it's possible. And she's and she just latched onto that. And she said, That's all we need one corner of your mind open to the possibility. And this is before we had Sheldrake and unified field theory before Max Talbot had written holographic universe out of Stanford, the idea that it one corner of your mind open to a possibility is a vector. It's a place where you can generate from a whole new reality. And I would say to all of us who are in this podcast right now, I'm going to invite you to hold a corner of your mind open to a possibility for you that's beyond what you thought was possible something that you would absolutely love in your life. And at that point, what I would really love is the chance to live, raise my boy and become a teacher. It's just all we need, one corner of your mind open to the possibility. And she says, so here's what's gonna happen in the morning. They're gonna do the surgery, you're gonna come back and you're gonna have some pain for a few days. Your mind will be busy with that at first, but as the pain begins to ebb, your mind is going to want to think along the well-worn paths of thinking you've been doing. So here's what I want you to do. Every time you start to notice a self-loathing thought, interrupt it and say, no, that left with the kidney. And then immediately, Mary, imagine yourself, you're walking up some steps to a school. You feel a warm little boy's hand in yours. He's five years old. You look at him, it's your son. He's five, he's going into kindergarten and you're taking him into kindergarten. And there's a kindergarten teacher and he's happy and you give him a hug, feel the hug, and he goes in his classroom and uh, he's in kindergarten and you're there. And then you go down the hall and you hear the click, click, click of your heels as you go around the corner and there's your classroom and you're a teacher. Then fast forward in your mind and you're sitting in a big stadium or auditorium and you see a stage down below and there are all these caps and gowns and you hear your son's name called and he's walking in his cap and gown across the stage and he receives his diploma and holds it up and you're in the stands and you're cheering and you're thinking of all the many moments mom moments that you had with him to help him be in this moment where he achieves this goal in his life and your teaching career is growing and then fast forward and you're sitting in the front row of a wedding and your son is marrying the love of his life and you're the mother of the groom and you're sitting there and so grateful and so happy to be part of your son's life and now seeing him marry the love of his life and your teaching career is flourishing. And then she said, just keep doing that. And she left. And she left. Uh, the next thing I knew, um, I woke up in the morning and it was the first time I had slept all night without waking no matter how much pain they gave me. They took me to surgery. Um, and after about two weeks, 
I would say now on reflection with the awareness I've gained, I would be what would be called an um, unconscious competent is that I wasn't aware of what I was doing, but I must have done what she told me to do, which would, I understand the physics of it now and the science of it. Um, because after about two weeks in the, I was still in intensive care, the num my numbers, instead of falling, started stabilizing. And after they were stable for about seven or eight days, they said, well, we don't know why your numbers are stable right now. We don't know how long this will last, but if we've all agreed that if you wanted to go home for, we don't know if it'll be a week or how long it might be uh, to be with your little boy and, and your husband and your, your mom and dad, where you guys are staying, um, you know, we would sign off on that as long as you get to the urologist for tests three times a week. So I went home in an ambulance. I was so weak, I couldn't even get my head off the pillow. And then suddenly my numbers started not only being stable, but just slightly improving and improving and improving. After about four or five months, no, five or six months, I'm sitting in a conference room at the hospital with the surgeon, the specialists, the uh, tech people, and they're all shaking their heads saying, we have no science for what's happened with you. The surgeon looked at me and he says, listen, I, I told your parents this and your husband, I saw that, the kidney that's in you, I saw that kidney. Remove the one that was completely destroyed. The other one was withered, pockmarked with nephritis. He said, how that one kidney is now functioning as a whole normal kidney. I have no idea. I don't know if this will last, how long it'll last. Uh, and then they said, well, whatever you've been doing, keep doing it. I didn't know what I was doing, but I did keep improving, improving, and I got well. I was grateful for that, but I wasn't curious yet. It would be several years later, uh, when I finally did get into my undergraduate school and I was uh, exploring different psychology and different things and this whole series of things occurred uh, together in the fall of 1971 and I began to see a pattern of oh she was right everything is created twice and that isn't just one place it's happening all the time and that the thoughts I'm thinking generate a vibration there's a pattern to the vibration and it's a predictive of outcomes and I just began to study this then I began to devote myself to everything I could find in the field of ancient religions philosophies got a master's degree in counseling psychology attended a two-year seminary uh, which was the development of the the through line of truth in all the major religions uh, and um, my my teaching dream moved from being a classical classroom teacher to a person who taught I wanted to teach those kids and I wanted to teach everybody I knew who wanted to have real transformation in their life from some kind of health issue or a relationship issue or something they really wanted to do with with um, the gift of vocation or create something uh, that they could have work that had meaning and purpose and impact and significance um, and, the, and the right that we all have to have uh, a freedom in our lives, the uh, time freedom, money freedom, and that all of that doesn't happen to us. It was this major awakening for me that life is not happening to me. And up until then, everybody I knew and hung out with believed that life happens to us and that we, are, we just have to react to what's happening. And that began not only a lifelong study, but a lifelong work. That's how I got into it. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that story. And you know, I've heard that so many times, Mary, but I've, over the years now, nine years I've worked with you, but there's always something, at least in my experience, something really magical of what you share. 
because there's, I think it takes a type of person like yourself to actually be willing to do, like, I know you shared as like, you're an unconscious competent back then. And then you've developed over time, like studying that, but still there's, at least in my experiences, I've learned from you, there's has to be a decision mm-hmm. and then things start to change. So it's brilliant. And thank you for sharing. It's really powerful. Which then, a, go ahead, Chris. Well, I, I actually had a question. So, uh, I, cause I latched onto that unconscious competent part. And you said that looking back, like you didn't, you weren't aware of what you were doing, but now looking back, you understand the physics and the science behind it. Can you get a little bit into the physics and the science that you've learned around that incredible transformation? Sure. Um, for a moment, notice that every time you turn on your television, the picture you're seeing is an exact match to the frequency you're tuned to. So if you're seeing problem pictures all the time, if you're always tuned to CNN um, or other uh, major networks that are talking about all the problems, the problems, the problems in the world and everything that is going wrong and everything that could go wrong, your energy is all on that line of frequency. But the way you got there was you had a setting you went to. And what she was trying to tell me with everything being created twice is that the thinking I'm doing has a vibration to it. That vibration not only moves through the brain, but the fluid that goes around the brain, the the spinal fluid, picks up that electrical impulse of that exact vibration. It goes up and down the spine and vibrates itself into the body. We first become aware of that through what we call feeling. I'm feeling anxious. Well, you can bet if you're feeling anxious, you've had some anxiety thoughts first, and they come very quickly together. But that vibration doesn't just move to the edges of our skin, it goes right through our skin and into this living energy of which we are a part. We have the illusion that I am separate from that energy. I am one with that energy, we all are. There's really no separation except in appearance and perception. So when you begin to notice what you're noticing, you can notice the thoughts that are expansive and you can notice the thoughts that were contractive. I had been very solidly over a year, 15 months, thinking, constrictive, self-loathing thoughts about myself. That vibration and the stress of what I'd been going through impacted and uh, most likely had some vulnerability in my genetics in the kidney area, and that's where it went. And then there was complete breakdown in that area. But the breakdown didn't start in the kidneys. The breakdown, it was a vulnerability, but the breakdown really started in the the lifestyle, which had to do not only with what was going on in the outside of my life, but most importantly, what was going on in the inside of my life. So what she gave me, when she gave me the tool of feeling, seeing an image, if I could live, I'd be, these things would be happening. I'd get my little boy to kindergarten. I'd see him graduate from high school. I'd be in problem. If he ever got married, I'd be the mother of the groom. And so to imagine these things while my, the other part of my own personal expression, being a teacher, now notice that she said, the first image is I'm, I'm walking him into kindergarten. It's not, uh, and I click, click, click on my heels and there's my classroom. She's not saying, here's how you get to school. Here's where the money to pay for your education is gonna come from. None of the how is in the image. And this is important for us that you set your frequency, not on how you get there, but when you're, you, you know, it's easy with the TV, you got a remote control, it's solid state. It used to be, and I was a kid, 
and even in our cars, we didn't have solid state technology. So you had to keep adjusting the knob to stay on the frequency of the program you wanted to watch. Uh, we don't have solid state. Okay, this is, I'm gonna create a life where I raise my little boy and these things are happening. I'm in and out. So the practice was notice when you're starting to notice constrictive vibration in you, i.e. self-loathing. You're not good enough. This is how, how can I even think this is gonna happen? Just wait a minute. That left with the kidney, here's what I'm imagining. A completely different vibration. And my body responded. But I didn't, I didn't understand any of that for many, many years after it occurred. But this has been the devotion of my study to see this. There is an art and science to transformation. Tran what does it even mean, transformation? Trans means to go beyond a form that's in your life. And the process by which that occurs, those three things go together. So the transformation means to go the, the process of moving from this result to this result. But you don't even know what that result's going to be. And uh, it can be anything, but you are much more likely to have it in terms of how the physics work if you are very, very specific in what it is that you actually want. You have a vision. So the vision, and then you match that vision with the vibration, which is for the way she had me do it was through images, seeing myself be, and feeling his little hand in mine, hearing the click, click, click of my heels. So I could imagine being the person having that experience, being the person in the stadium, being the mom in the front row of the wedding. And there's much more power in the vibrational response that not only your body, but the, the, the energy that's working and at work anyway, it's gonna produce, it's an exact match. We live in a mirrored universe. So whatever the major dominant vibrations that are I'm operating at are going to be the kinds of things that keep happening in my life unless I change that. Mm. Is that, Chris, what you were looking for? Yeah, that's great. Okay. I think, yeah, I think it was also so masterful how the, the, the person who helped you in the very beginning was telling you to feel the hand and, and listen to the click, click, click of your heels. It's like she knew that you needed to five-sensorize the experience for you to really get it inside yourself. So I think that was very masterful of her. She studied, she came at it a different way than I ended up coming to it myself, but she'd studied the philosophies and she'd studied particularly a man named Neville uh, in that era. He was a very popular uh, teacher uh, and he, we didn't have quantum physics. We didn't have the science yet to back it up, but he was very specific that feeling is the secret. You can have an image, but unless you feel yourself having it, it stays at a distance from you. You have to be inside the picture yourself having the experience. And that uh, brings enough of the activity of the law of attraction to bring the substance required for it to occur. Yeah. What, would it, what about people who don't have the clear vision? Because that- don't. No, 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 right. no, no, most people don't. That's why uh, they wanna work with you, Kevin, <laughs> Chris, and come to your podcast because we're not in a world that supports us really dreaming up what we would really love. So we tend to have, and almost frankly, most people spend way more time planning a weekend trip than they spend planning their life because no one's ever taught them to ask the questions um, that if I could be anywhere, do anything, have anything, what would it be? And then go, oh, that's just daydreaming. That's just fantasy. But that's how everything that is that is much more expansive has ever come into the world. Somebody allowed themselves to 
at first it felt like fantasy. It's beyond what our conditions tell us we can have. So the most over the years, one of the things I've learned is the most important question we can ask ourselves is not what do I think I can have? What do you think I can have? What does the economy say I can have? It's this question. What would I love? What would I love? And you'll have a part of you telling you why you can't have it, even while you're asking that question. But if you just ignore that, I'll talk to you later, that part of you, and you just say, let me, I just want to at least know what I would love in health, what I would love if I could have the relationships in my life that uh, would be most fulfilling to me. Uh, would I heal a relationship with someone that there's discord or distance with? Would I, you know, what would my relationship life be like? Do I have, um, you know, if you're in business, colleagues that you would have uh, uh, or uh, friends that you might make at work or you dream it up. What would you really love? What would you love with your vocation? Whether you're an income doing it or not is another matter, but what are you doing with your time and talent? Everybody's doing something. Most people are simply trading time for money because they don't, that's the model we've given and you're responsible and you're the breadwinner or you're, and you just buck up versus ever knowing that you could actually earn income in ways that you can't imagine that are are beyond your knowing right now, but would give you the kind of freedom. You don't want to just have a paycheck or benefits for when you're 65, but there's a way to live life expansively while you're going through the process of it. Uh, and that's, that's what you guys teach and uh, bring forth every week in this podcast. And that's what I've been doing for a very long time. So when people don't know their vision, you start with what you know for sure. The one thing every one of us knows for sure is that we all want great health. So you start there. You know, it's let's imagine it's three years from now. Uh, you wake up rested. You uh, sleep well. You have stamina and strength. Uh, and if you did have dynamic health, what would you be doing? Some people would love to be climbing rocks, climbing mountains. Others would be, um, you know, biking or doing a marathon or a triathlon or uh, hiking or uh, bike riding or swimming or uh, there's things you're doing with the body that you feel good in your own skin is in this image. Uh, and with the thing about writing what you would love is that you make sure you eliminate what you don't want in it. What you would love is not, I have no more pain in my shoulder because the subconscious mind doesn't hear not pain. It reads the word pain. So you're planting, like you go into the backyard to plant seeds of what you really want. You're not planting seeds of what you don't want and thoughts are like seeds. So when you're crafting your vision of health or crafting your vision in any other area of life, you make sure that at first, You'll, because you want to transform something like I'm no longer lonely. I no longer crawl into bed alone at night. Okay, if I'm not doing that, what am I doing? I'm, I'm so happy and uh, grateful every day for the relationships I'm in. I've, there's an intimacy, there's a care, there's a connection, there's an aliveness in this. Uh, we have fun together uh, versus I'm not lonely. So you start with what you know for sure. And that kind of begins to unlock something in us. So, and you just keep an open mind. Like, I mean, how do I know I couldn't have what I would really like or really want? If anybody could do it, you can do it. But maybe not with the awareness that you've had. That's why you keep listening to this podcast, why you keep coming back. 
Because if you take even one thing a week and then you begin to implement it and you make a baby step that week, you're going to watch because if you're going down life's highway and you even make a 10 degree shift a mile down the road, you're in a whole new place. And you look back over the last six months of coming every week to listen right here and you are going to see changes in yourself and your awareness and your aliveness, your appreciation for life. Uh, and those begin to open other doors. Yeah, I think we I think we emphasize that a lot on our podcast is um, you have to implement the things that you you know that you resonate with because you know you can learn about all these things but if you don't actually try any of them it's 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 pretty much just entertainment for you coming back it's like you actually have to see how these things start to work in your life I think that's where the biggest change comes and we try to emphasize that a lot on the podcast because we actually want people to make it we want we want people to feel the difference right you you have an idea and you feel this uptick and I was like oh that was inspiring it kind of gives you an uptick but it's the thing about the house you're in the office building you're in right now as you're listening to this the car you're in um if you're in a building of any kind and you have electrical light that building had to be wired to code for the flow of electrons to move that generate this thing we call electricity um and you can have every bulb working you can have every lamp pull, plugged in but if there's not a, a, if there's not a, a ground wire where it creates circuitry so it, the energy has to move in order for light to get produced you has potential up until then that place is even wired to code so the potential for light is there but there is no light until there's circuitry so the potential to have transformation the potential you have a vision that you're totally in the in in physics they call it superposition everything is possible and the one you're the one that's most likely is the one you generate most its vibration but without the action there's no closed circuit there's no energy that flows it's all in potential so by taking an action step you're closing a circuit that begins to shift your vibration and your relationship with this invisible energy making more likely things that are congruent with the frequency you're acting from and you begin to see things happen that you can't make happen but you've made welcome by the vibration you're acting from yeah things come out of the blue for support <laughs> right out of the quote-unquote blue right but we yeah we are interacting with it which as you're sharing that mary of uh, actions as we're taking it I know, I know that um, not only in my own life, I think this is very normal for humans, that when we're taking steps, actions that are moving us in a direction of a life that we would love to live, a vision that's not in our reality yet, that there's a temptation to think that, oh, this is not going to really do much. But I, if you would, I would love to hear and you to share with our listeners the, the spiritual side of this, of, of knowing that you're not alone, like that you can, can't make it happen, but you make it welcome like that side of it, because while the actions are very human and it's, it's a requirement of us in this reality, then could you speak to the other side? Because I think that a lot of people could really use that, that uh, spiritual depth. Well, if we pause for a moment uh, and recognize that you uh, did create yourself, none of us created ourselves. We can't, under our own personal power, we can't create ourselves under our own personal power, we can't even breathe ourselves or make our heartbeat one time. This is an effect of life giving us itself, calling us into beingness. There is a spiritual side. We have two sides to our nature. There's a spiritual side of our nature, 
and there's a physical side to our nature. One is infinite, one is finite. So if you imagine a cross, let the vertical side stand for the part of you that is breathing you, that you're, it's not your ego, it's not your brain, it's life itself, that pure, holy, um, sacred life that is everywhere present. And if you pause for a moment, you'll recognize that that life today is pressing through a blade of grass to become more of itself. And that blade of grass will press right through a uh, cement seeking the light um, because life is pressing it to a greater expanded version of itself. It's pressing through the edges of a tree to become more of itself. And we're not outside that circle. It's pressing in and to and through us to become more expressing of our true nature, which is abundance and unlimitedness, beauty, um, aliveness, uh, giving and sharing and all the many wonderful aspects that we call life. It's expressing this pull for us. Now, in the only difference between the blade of grass and you and me is the blade of grass has no capacity to resist the growth. You and I have free will as, as upright, front-lobal, front-lobe you know, thinking humans. We can choose to grow. We can say it's not convenient right now. I'm going to wait till later. So what happens with that impulse for greater life when we thwart it, we shut it down. It, the river of life doesn't stop flowing, it just diverts and it begins to show itself in, in uh, things we call problems, difficulties, challenges, dis-ease as it did in me, that are signs and signals of unlived life. So how does life first speak to us? It speaks to us through longing and discontent. So those wavelengths, I believe, are actually sacred signals from the greater life and that's here for each one of us. Um, whether you call it God, whether you call it spirit, whether you call it infinite energy, nature, whatever name you relate to, that is life itself and of which you are a part. Um, and that you, and it has, because we have infinite possibilities, you're in a sea of infinite intelligence. You don't have to know how to do everything, but you do have to know what and what the vibration is and then begin to match that. And this infinite intelligence begins and is going to work right now to bring you forms and experiences that match the vibration you're on. When all you have to do is think about people you get together with at say Thanksgiving every year, maybe parts of your family, Uncle Harry or you know, Aunt Mildred, and every year you're hearing pretty much the same stories. And if they're on a negative wavelength about why things are in it awful out there, and you're going to hear those same stories and their lives bear witness to the energy that is the major dominant energy they're, they're in. And all of that can be changed. So we bless the people we love that may not know that they can change the story they're operating from. But to realize that we have this gift of both our spiritual side of our life connected to the infinite and in the only place you can make transformation occur is in the here and now. So Mary Morrissey, I have an infinite side. I'm a spiritual being having a human experience. I have a birth date for me, May 25th, 1949. I'm, I'm going to be 74 here very soon. And there's a death date. It's an invisible ink for me, but it's, it's absolutely predictable. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of just when. 
So, and this, this gap between the birth date and the death date is where we get the gift of experiencing being alive. When we're in our spiritual, just in our spiritual experience, there's no, no observer. There's no Mary noticing that she's being Mary and Mary wanting to change her life or Mary experimenting with uh, all the power that we have to create lives we love, working with all the people I've been blessed, Kevin, you, Chris, you at, at trainings we've done. Um, the, in, in when we're just one with spirit, it's just this merging of one with one with it all. But in the human experience, we know we're alive and the way we know we're alive and we have this experience called uh, human birth is through contrast. So in this world, you have up and down, in and out, uh, happy, sad. Uh, the way you know you're alive today is the idea of death is present. So by contrast, we have this experience of our human birth. And by contrast, I'm in love with this, I would love this, and I'm, oh, I'm, I'm not in love with this. I'm so tired of being held back by money or trying to figure out at the end of the month, every month, how I'm going to pay my bills. How do I get off that vibration and get on since, I mean, everybody says this is an abundant universe, doesn't seem abundant to me. How do I make a shift uh, and do that? And that's what you guys are helping people find out and train right here for all of us but not perhaps the way we've been taught right i think it's about going out there and getting it and being at the right place at the right time and market share and you know <laughs> supply and demand and it's not that those things don't exist but if it if those things really really controlled results people who have 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 made huge results with none of those things wouldn't have happened or if we thought that the story, if we, I, I'm not going to be successful because if you knew of my childhood or the abuse I've had, or or if that were true, every person who had abuse would have that same outcome. They don't. It's not the thing. It's what we think about the thing that produces what's going to happen in our lives. So that's why, as Emerson said, stand guard at the portal of your mind to notice the thought you're thinking. Notice what you're noticing. That's the number one life mastery tool is to notice what you're noticing. So you can notice that the thought you're thinking is either expansive or contractive until that woman came to my bed and she said, notice what you're noticing. If you're noticing a self-loathing thought, say no, that left with the kidney and immediately replace it. Don't just, you can't, the universe abhors a vacuum. You can't just say no to that thought. You have to replace it with a more life giving expansive uh, thought. And that changed my life and it's continued to change my life throughout my whole life. Yep. Thank you for sharing that. So good. Right. Yeah. I think what's so, what's so beautiful about this type of teaching is that I, there's like a tremendous sense of like personal responsibility that you are actually in control regardless of what your circumstances are. And I think there's like almost like a two-sided coin to that because some people will kind of shy away from that. Cause I think a lot of people don't want to hear that. They're like, oh, I want to believe that everything's just happening to me. But on the flip side of it, it's like you actually have this tremendous ability to change no matter what situation you're in. And I think that was a great example that you brought up, like that general example of if you didn't have this ability, then everyone who came from every background, the same background would have the same exact things happen to them. But we don't see that throughout all of history. No. Yeah. Yeah. And the truth is, if you want to believe that life is happening to you, you're given that right. 
Mm-hmm. You can do that. Uh, it just isn't powerful. Mm-hmm. And it, it leaves you feeling as a victim. And here's the thing about um, in, in psychology, um, you'll never run out of people who will commiserate with you around your victimhood. Oh, that was awful. That, well, that it's, there's, a, there's a level of thinking in which victimhood um, is, is uh, oddly powerful. It's oddly powerful because a lot of people will commiserate with you and you get attention. And um, on the other hand, it's not liberating. It's not freedom making. It's not fulfilling. It's, and that's the lo- lowest level of awareness is I'm a victim of what's happening to me. And there's way too many people have had things happen from uh, war injuries and um, d- diagnoses and all kinds of things who are triumphant in their living, even with things that they could have easily uh, submitted to being a victim of. Um, you know, different uh, difficulties and failures and all kinds of things. But the surmounting of spirit over circumstances uh, that every one of us is far more powerful and contains way more potential than any circumstance, situation, or condition. But you won't know that unless there's a situation that feels powerful and you discover that you are more than that and you can transform that no matter what it looks like. Mary, what would you say it feels like or what's the experience like besides you mentioned as expansive or feeling better, right? But I'm curious to hear your uh, experience or what it feels like to you to access that transcendent self, as I think Emerson would say, or in transcendentalism. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that or what that experience is like so that someone listening, if they're actually having that experience, then can really rest in that knowing rather than questioning. Because I think especially in an early journey, when someone accesses that part of themselves, they're maybe not sure. It's like, is that, am I really actually living from that part of myself or is that just me making it up. It, um, it's it's momentary. Even you know, after many many years of studying, the the, the it, to be in the moment where you're you're noticing what you're noticing, and it's called metacognition today in uh, you know our psychology. So to metacognitive to have a metacognition is, and this is just we can do this very quickly for a moment. Just notice your feet. Notice the feet, just no, you don't have to look at your feet, just notice your feet. Notice if you have socks on or shoes on or barefooted and what are your feet touching? Are they on the couch cross-legged? Are they on the floor or your legs crossed and one foot's on the floor and you feel the other hanging off the edge of your uh, knee as it's crossed? Just notice your feet. Notice your ankles, notice your calves, notice your knees, notice your thighs, notice your bottom and belly. Notice the up and the back of your torso and across your shoulders and down the upper arms and the elbows and the forearms and the wrists and into the palms of your hand and all to the end of all 10 fingers. Put your noticing on the end of all 10 fingers. Feel that. Notice that. Bring your noticing up your neck and up the back of your neck. Cross to the top of your head on the back and up. Notice your chin, your right cheek, your left cheek, the tip of your nose, center of your forehead. Notice your body. Notice your body. And then ask yourself, who is it in me that can notice my body, but is more than my body? In fact, if I lose a hand, I don't say I lost me. I say I lost my hand, part of my my equipment. Who is that? That is the transcendent self. 
the part of you that can notice what you're noticing and that and that you can actually direct your noticing the first stage of awakening your ability to really have your hand on the helm of your own energy that's driving the direction of the ship called your life you're in is to notice what you're noticing so otherwise if you don't have your hand on the helm of your own noticing what you're noticing you can't noticing longing discontent and then do something about it you have to wait for the winds and the waves of circumstance situation and you're just buffeted by what's coming at you so as you notice what you're noticing you're going to go oh that's not a very empowering thought i can change that oh that's a that so what i'm noticing some anxiety there's something that's going on i'm fearful about right now what is that i can change that so that you're navigating into more and more expansive energies and expansive energies equal more expansive results you're not going to have contractive energies generating more expansive results. Even if for a moment you it looks like you're getting more, it'll just collapse right under you. That's why people have success and then drop back. You know, the new the new relationship and then that falls apart because they're not a match for it. So transcendence this that what literally transcendentalism means is that there is a part of you that is transcendent to the circumstances, situations, and conditions, and history of your life. You are more than that. But most of us aren't trained that way. We don't think that way. We don't, aren't, don't allow ourselves to really touch it. But the more you touch it, the more empowering it becomes. Right. And I, I'm really thrilled and really grateful you said the word, the tra- we're not trained that way. Because, mm-hmm. gosh, we've been working together for nine years. It, it is a training. And it's just been become easier and easier and easier for myself. So I'm, I'm really th- glad you said that exact word because it's quite simple to get, but to actually master it, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, Kevin, um, one of the things that I know you know, uh, if you want more abundance in your life, uh, and I mean, it's natural for us. People often feel guilty about wanting more, uh, but life wants more. If you, if right. you, you know, life wants more, but that kind of, oh, I should just be grateful for what I have. The answer to that is yes. Yes, be grateful for all that you have. And it's okay to allow for greater growth and greater expansion, greater abundance in all the areas that matter to you. It's not an either or, it's a yes and. Yes, be grateful, fully grateful. And also over the years of study and both in in both spiritual studies as well as physics, you begin to see that gratitude is uh, an expansive energy. So gratitude is harmonious. It's the vibration that's harmonious with abundance. So we, most of us have what's called a reactive gratitude. Somebody gives you flowers or somebody gives you a card or a gift or does something nice for you or brings you cookies or does a project and add, you know, adds their energy to help you get it done or, and you're grateful for something that came to you. That's a, that's a level of gratitude. And there are other higher levels of gratitude. That's, that's, that's a reactive or it happened to me gratitude. Another level of gratitude is called generative gratitude, where it's just being, you generally run an attitude and a feeling tone of gratitude. And if you need something to be grateful for, it's for being alive today, that, that life gave itself to you. You got to wake up this morning, not everybody did. 
and this and life gives you a day of itself and says nobody gets to think your thoughts today but you no one gets to choose what you're going to make important to today you can make a grievance important you can make a possibility important you get to choose what you're going to make important today this is your life and and the authority of that and the freedom of that uh and to begin to have metacognition on the level of gratitude that is my new normal uh, vibration that I'm, I'm operating from. You're going to see more abundance in your life because gratitude and abundance go together. Right. Mm. It's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that, Mary. Mm. I always love hearing you speak about gratitude. I, I actually have adopted your gratitude practice have in the you? morning. Are yeah, you? it's uh, pretty much every morning now. Uh, my cat Autumn will like meow at me and wanting attention right in the morning. But while I'm giving her attention, petting her and saying hello to her, the most immediate first thought in the morning is I am grateful for being alive today and tuning into that and sending that gratitude to life itself, to spirit. And so mm -hmm. it's been really transformational for me in the You're last few months. Yeah, yeah. Gratitude. Yes. That's wonderful. Kevin. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah. I think like really like, like, you know, you can hear someone say that, but actually feeling it, like once you get that feeling of being grateful for like your alive or even the small things, like actually practicing it, it really does make a big difference. It's, it's huge. Right. Well, Mary, you have a book coming out <laughs> as we're coming in for a landing for the time, which time is flying in just uh, these last 50 minutes already. It's just been brilliant. So your book, Brave Thinking, which I am really looking forward to. I already have it pre-ordered, which I don't, I, I don't know if I told you yet, but um, I'd love to hear your, uh, your words for it. Of what, um, I mean, why you're writing it, what it means to be a brave thinker um, and anything you want to share on that of like, uh, to anticipate that book coming out in the next month or so? Well, I mentioned earlier that I've start, been studying now since 1971, every single day, what I can find to bring greater understanding and the awareness and then the ability to share it with others, uh, how to have transformation in your life for a better, more expansive life-giving life. Um, and I've been teaching it for 41 years. So I studied for a decade and then I began to teach. Um, and I wrote my first uh, national book in uh, published it in 1996. It was called Building Your Field of Dreams. It was um, my best understanding at that point about how to bring transformation to your life. And um, it became a PBS special and it was a national bestseller and very well received. But that's been a long time ago. And over the ensuing decades, there's a, I've learned a whole lot more. And I wanted uh, to really take everything that I've learned in the codes and the unlocking of that and presence it in a new, uh, a new flagship work uh, that I call brave thinking. It's not easy to think truth in the presence of opposing facts. Uh, I've got a kidney disease. They've told me I'm going to die. Not easy to think about walking the little boy out. I mean, it, a lot of people would say that's crazy. Uh, and but the understanding and helping people understand both the art and the science of how to actually have a life you love living while you're living it versus trying to get to a life that you would love how to have a life that you love living while you're living it and i'm very very proud of this this book and so it's coming out may 23rd but if you depending on where you order it from you probably get it on may 25th which happens to be my birthday and i'm really yeah. nice <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I didn't actually line those up because I've known about the release of the book and the when, but that's awesome. Yeah. Sweet. 
What, uh, just out of curiosity, what kind of stories are in there, Mary? I'm, I'm sure because you've been working with thousands of people from all around the world now. But um, yeah, like because I'm assuming that you have some shared stories of like obviously the every, power of this. Yes, every chapter on uh, the, the next step of how to apply this has case studies. Nice. You know, testing in the world, world you know, of, um, how, how it works for people and how they report it working for them. So right. this is not just, in my mind, this has always been a proven, reliable, repeatable system of transformation. And I've seen that work again and again, in the same way, if you wire a house to code, you have light potential, you have to work with it, but you have light potential. If you put this code at work in your life, you're going to see transformation to the, to the degree of the sharpness of the image that you're holding. So um, it's full of case studies uh, and, and very simple steps to take as you go along. Um, but it's getting early rave reviews and I'm happy about that. Excellent. Awesome. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Can't wait to read it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, we'll have the link just for anyone listening. If you'd love to get that book, pre-order it or order it yourself, if depending on when you're listening to this episode, the link will be in the description of this episode. Giving. If you go through that link, there's some gifts as well as the book that are going to come your way. Yeah. Excellent. So yeah, it's bravethinkingbook.com. If you'd like to check it out and again, the link is in the description and knowing you, Mary, those gifts are going to be phenomenal because you are a gift giver. <laughs> yeah, I am a gift giver. <laughs> awesome. Excellent. Well, with this, uh, I mean, Chris, anything else that you got in mind Any questions? No, I'm just excited to read the book as well. And um, it's just always a pleasure talking with you, Mary. Like I, you know, I miss hearing you teach. <laughs> I feel too, Chris. I'm so happy to be with both you guys. Mm -hmm. I guess my final comment to our listener today is uh, what would you love? Just start asking yourself that question and then maybe keep a little notebook or on your notes on your phone and just start, I'd love that. And part of you is gonna go, how are you gonna have it? Don't leave the how out right now. Just get, what would you love and spend? I would give myself a good week, start with what you know for sure, and then begin to let ideas of possibilities come to you and keep coming back here to this podcast science and spirituality, it's, it's something that every single time you come, you're going to gain something, put it even a little bit to work in your life. You're going to see a huge difference. Thank you, Mary. I was going to, I was going to ask anywhere for any final thoughts. I appreciate you adding that. And, uh, it's been brilliant having you here. Thank you so much for saying yes, being a guest on our podcast. And we're and thrilled to have this conversation. And a privilege. And that's it for today. So thanks for tuning in. We really hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. So any questions, any comments, connect with us on Instagram personally at Kevin F. Carton or at Chris J. Carton or our podcast Instagram page at Science and Spirituality Podcast. And if you feel guided to, the one thing that we do ask is for you to please rate the podcast and also leave a review. This way we can reach more people and in that way impact more lives. So with that, we'll see you on the next episode.